0: Hey, uh, my name is Steve. I'm the campus pastor here, and hopefully you can tell by those videos that uh, we're a church that likes to have a good time. If you're new, if you're a guest or visitor, you may not have recognized that um, next to Josh Rogers was our lead pastor, Paul Mumal, dressed like our worship guy, Cameron Sprinkle. And uh, it was really awkward to see on the video. It was even more awkward to see in person, I have to tell you. Uh, it was a little bit creepy, actually. But hey, um, we uh Kevin talked about connection groups uh, in his most eloquent way, and hopefully uh, you've signed up for a group. If you're not part of a group here at Genesis Church, we believe that's one of the best ways you can get connected to other believers here and also grow closer to God. And so uh, that's what Kevin was talking about. A lot of our groups start today or this week. And so we're going to have an opportunity for you to sign up in the lobby afterwards. If you're a guest or visitor, we'd love for you to grab a connection card, which should be in the seat back in front of you, unless you're in the front row, in which case you'll have to go behind you. But uh, grab one of these connection cards. It's our way to know if there are new people coming and attending. We'd love to get to know you a little bit. So if you'll fill that out, uh, you can uh, put any contact information you're willing to share and drop it in the offering when it comes by. Uh, later in the service it'll be at the end of service or you can take it to the info hub and we've got uh, some friendly friendly faces that want to see you there and say hi to you and give you a gift just for being here today hopefully when you walked in you also received this it's our eight-week challenge card Hopefully every family got one, and so if you didn't, you'll want to make your way out to the host team and grab one. We'd love for you to hold on to that till the end of the service because normally this is the point of the service where I'd have you stand and we'd uh, start with worshiping through song, but we're not going to do that today because we've got kind of a special thing going on. So hopefully you'll hold on to that card. And uh, we'll use that at the end of the service because we're in this series called The Ladder. We're actually finishing up today this three-week series called The Ladder. And what we've been doing is using this ladder as a visual to talk about how ladders can take us places that God wants us to go that we can't get on our own. And so what we've been doing is using this ladder as an analogy for generosity. God wants to make us generous people. And so what we've said is that the easiest way, the safest way to climb a ladder is what? Anybody remember? Yeah, no, one step at a time. We're going to go one step at a time. And so week one, we said if you're not already on the ladder, in other words, if you're not already giving, we ask you to take that very first step and to become what we call a priority giver, which is we're going to give first before anything else. So whenever we get a paycheck, uh, we get a commission check, we get a bonus check, we, get, um, uh, we win a lottery, win the Powerball, right? Right? We uh, get a gift, we give a portion of that first before we do anything else with it. And so that's what week one was. It was all about being a priority giver. So make it giving a priority. And then last week, we talked about week two, and we talked about becoming a proportional giver. So for people who are already giving something uh, to their local church, whether it's Genesis or if you're a part of a church somewhere else, we said, would you think about and pray about becoming a proportional giver? And we made a case last week that 10% is a good biblical place to start. And that's what we talked about last week, that the first tenth belongs to God, and for some of you, it blew your mind to know that people actually give, there are actual people in this world, in this room, that give a tenth of their income away every time they get paid. It just blew people's mind, but that's true, and people even beyond that have, uh, some people in this room have even taken the next step, the third step, which we're going to talk about today, and we call step three being a progressive giver, a progressive giver, and we... Progressive giving means you're giving beyond just returning a tithe because the first tenth belongs to God. And I've got a friend that likes to say generosity begins at 10%. And the reason he says that, I think it makes sense if you've been here the whole three weeks, is that the first tenth, if the first tenth, if we believe what Scripture says, that it belongs to God, then only when you get beyond 10% do you start giving your money away, right? The first tenth you're playing with house money. And so after that you start giving your money away and that's when you start to feel it. And I mean that in a good way. You start to feel the fact that you're being generous, that God is making us generous by getting us up to this third step and becoming a progressive giver. Now, when I say that, that generosity begins at 10%, I'm not trying to minimize the steps that any of you are taking. So if anybody said, hey, you know what? I just got on this ladder. You don't want to bring me all the way up to, no, I don't, one step at a time. That's what we talked about. But um, when my friend says generosity begins at 10%, he's talking about, hey, God wants to take you to this place that you can't possibly go unless you follow his lead, unless you do that on, on, uh, on your own. So um, my wife and I just finished our taxes this week, and one of the things I talked to you about this week one, I love doing our taxes because I get to see where we've been with giving for the year. And um, I'm going to tell you this because here's, here's what I want to do. I want you guys to know that I'm not willing to ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do. And so I'm going to tell you something here in a minute that some of you might think, I'm being a little prideful about, and I'm not, all right? But we finished our taxes, and what we found is that we gave away 15% of our gross income last year, my wife and I. Now, here's why I'm telling you that. I'm going to ask you to take a pretty big step. By the end of the service, you're going to feel a little challenged, And I want you to know I'm not willing to do anything that you're not willing to do. And I don't want you to hold me up as a model of generosity because I know that there are people in this room that regularly give away 20, 30, 40, even 50% of their income on a regular basis. I know people who do that. They live that way. And this activity for all of us, for all of them, is driven by the third generosity principle that we want to talk about today. So every week we've had a generosity principle that kind of drives what we're talking about. So uh, week three, the third generosity principle is this, that generosity has no finish line. Generosity has no finish line. That we believe that no matter where you are on this ladder, that God's got another step for us to take. Now, if you remember from week one, we're pretending this ladder goes all the way up to heaven, but it can't because I'd hit my head on the light and it would be bad. I might fall and I might die in front of you. And then somebody would have to come up and do the rest of my sermon and nobody wants that. So generosity principle number three, generosity has no finish line. There's no top to this ladder. And so we're going to see this reflected in the scripture we're going to read from today. So if you have your Bibles, you might open them to Luke chapter 12. Uh, Luke 12, you can do that on your smart, smartphone. If you've got an iPad or whatever that you read the Bible on, go ahead and open that up. Um, if you grab one of these Bibles that are laying around you, there should be one that looks like this. It's on page 726 in that Bible. If you've got your own Bible, you're on your own finding it. Uh, I don't know what page it's on, but uh, Luke 12, 720, actually 727 is where we're going to start. And here's what you need to know about this, that when Jesus walked the earth, he would regularly go around from place to place and he would teach people, uh, often large crowds of people, but sometimes just little groups of people. And he would go, he would use a, um, a teaching technique that we call a parable. Now a parable is a made up story. All right? It's a story about a people who probably don't exist, they're probably made up, but he would use it. It's a simple story, and it usually has some kind of moral, some kind of a, a, a meaning that goes beyond that story itself. It's a, a, a normal story told to illustrate some moral principle or a spiritual lesson. I've heard it said that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so that's how Jesus taught. He would often take something in the culture... And then he would uh, apply God's word to it, and that would show you, like, here's how God's word applies to our culture today. And so that's what Jesus is gonna do here. He's gonna tell this parable, and this one occasion. Jesus was talking about the dangers of greed and possessions, and he said this, Luke 12, 16 is where we'll start, Luke 12, 16. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Now, if Jesus told this parable today about this rich man, who got an abundant harvest, uh, the media would be all over this guy. He would be one of the 1%, all right? He would be a symbol of excess. He's talked about on all the radio call-in shows. Here it is. It's a great example of the rich getting richer. There is this man. He's already got a lot of things. He has this abundant harvest. We would hate him, all right? His crops yield abundantly. He has what we call a bumper crop. But what we see is this man has a problem. And it's a problem that stems right from this. And we'll see that in verse 17. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And everybody says, oh, poor baby. He's got so much stuff. He doesn't have a place to put it all. Can anybody relate to that? We got so much stuff. I just don't have a place to put it all. I'm going to have to do something about it. That last passage right there is what we call a first world problem. You remember that? We talked about this. The last time we preached this uh, from this uh, scripture, we talked about first world problems. And uh, it's a problem that you only understand if you live in a first world kind of civilized society, right? And so we have these problems. And uh, this week, I just asked on my Facebook page, how many of you have a first world problem that you love? And I love the answers I got. You guys are so much more clever than the internet itself. And so the problem's like this. Like the Starbucks a mile from my house doesn't have a drive through and so, if I want to get my coffee, I have to drive three miles to the next one, or I have to get out of my car and go in to get my coffee, right? Oh, that's a first world problem right there, isn't it? How about this? Uh, there's not enough hot water in my house to fill up my giant bathtub. That's a first world problem right there, right? I love somebody said when the little clip on the gas pump doesn't work, you've already started pumping the gas, and so now you're stuck. You've got to stand there and hold the gas pump until your car's full. That's a first world problem, right? My kids are so bored because none of their electronics are charged. You know, they got multiple devices. Um, they got all kinds of things to play with, but they don't have anything to do because they're all on the charger. How about this? I love this one. This is so Hamilton County. There are, t- there are 22 restaurants within a half a mile of my house, but nothing sounds good for lunch. <laughs> this happens to me all the time, right? It's a first-world problem. Or this is my favorite one, I think. The automatic start on my SUV shuts off after 15 minutes, but I don't have to leave for work for 25 minutes. <laughs> That's a first-world problem, Right? You've got a car sitting in your driveway that you can start basically by thinking about it, you know? And in 15 minutes, it's going to shut off and you're going to have to start it again, or else it's not going to be a perfect 71 degrees when you drive to work every day, right? Well, this man, this made up farmer, right? Remember, he's made up. This made up farmer has a storage problem. He doesn't have enough room, so he comes up with this solution, verse 18. Then he said, Here's what I'll do I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. That is great advice, right? Build bigger barns so that you've got a place to store it all. Any financial planner worth their salt today would tell you the same thing. It, w- it would sound something like this. Hey, don't keep so much money in your checking account. right? You need to open a savings account. You need to have a retirement account. You need to plan for your future. Get a mutual fund. Get an IRA. Get a Roth IRA. Get a 401K. Start contributing to your retirement plan. Save up for your kids' college. Start putting money away so that sometime in the future you won't have to worry about it. And don't get me wrong. There's wisdom in saving. There is great wit. The Bible speaks a lot about saving and the importance. And man, as a parent, if my kids would just latch onto this, right? Wouldn't that be parents? Wouldn't we love it if our kids would start thinking about the future and start saving for the future? We would be so proud of them, Right? And that's probably what this crowd listening to Jesus is thinking, too. He's telling this story. Most of the people around him would have assumed that this man was wealthy because he was being blessed. This part of the Jewish culture is that if God, you're following God, you're trusting God, that he's going to bless you financially and that he's going to bless you with all this stuff. And so if somebody has a lot of stuff, they probably assume that he's got a lot of stuff because God is blessing him and he's following God. And so, um, but, and listen, Jesus isn't against saving. Alright, as far as I can tell, he's not against mutual funds and 401ks and he's not against wealth. We talked about that week one. It's not the point of the parable. Instead, what he's going to do in the next couple of verses, he's going to talk about the danger of greed and the consuming desire for possession. See, the problem that we're going to see with this man, this made up man, all right, is not his wealth, but Jesus is concerned that his wealth has become his primary focus. Right, That God is not the center of his life. God is not the priority. For this rich man, his primary passion wasn't following Jesus, wasn't following God, okay, but it was following his money. It was what was going to happen to his treasure. Remember Jesus said at one point, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also? He sees that in this man. And so Jesus make—he's going to make, he's make a very, very strong point that if your life is all about saving and accumulating and growing rich, if that's your primary purpose, then you've missed the point. But some of the people listening probably didn't get that. And for them, Jesus is about to drop a bomb. Like like He's going to blow them away. And if you're not a Christian, this might be hard for you to comprehend, but he is. He's going to blow their minds. So this man says, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, I'll build bigger ones, and then I can store all my wealth. I can relax. I can take a vacation for the rest of my life because I'll have everything I need. Look what the text says next, verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Now, at this point, the people listening are going, what fool? Who's he talking about? This is a wise man. This is a guy who clearly has done something right. He's become rich. He's worked hard. He's thinking about better ways to save. Clearly, this man has it all together. And now you're going to go kill him off? Now, remember, imaginary man, right? God's not really killing somebody for being greedy, all right? But imaginary man. Aren't we supposed to admire his wisdom? And now you're going to go take his life. And then the text says, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Well, here comes the answer of why he says that. If you read this parable closely, what we see is in this translation, uh, the NIV, the translation I've been reading from, you look at it, and the word uh, my is used four times in this very short story. I think there's like six verses. He uses the word my four times and the word I eight times. For this guy, all of his focus is on himself. It's on his needs and his wants and his desires. It's not on God. It's not on being generous towards others. This parable is all about self-indulgence. This rich man is completely focused on what he wants and what he needs. And so Jesus finishes the story with this, verse 21. This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. See, more than how much we make or how much we save or how much we spend or even more than how much we give, What Jesus is concerned about is our hearts and how we feel toward God and how we feel towards other people. And he knows that money is a gauge of that. Our money is like a readout on your dashboard that tells you how your heart is doing, right? And so all of us can look at people around us and we can see people that we think have too much, can't we? I was driving home from Chicago yesterday and this guy blew past me in a Bentley convertible. I'm like, is that really necessary? You know, we see the houses that have guard houses as big as the place that our family lives, right? And we go, that guy's got too much. In fact, the easiest thing for any of us to do is to point to someone else who has excess, right? But that's not what God's concerned about. Instead, he wants us to become generous. He wants to work in our hearts to become generous. In his book, Excessive Generosity, Jim Schennebarger says that generosity is when you freely give expecting nothing in return. Now, I don't know much about Mr. Shinnebarger, I haven't read his book, I have seen his TED talk, Um, I don't even know that he's a Christian, but I think this beautifully captures the point of the story that Jesus told in this case, that, that he wants us to become generous people, willing to give without expecting anything in return. And so, as a church, if we want to become progressive givers, we want to take that third step on the ladder, or even... Not that. Even if we just want to be generous people, I mean, don't we all want our friends, our family to look at us and say that they're a generous person? He's a generous man. She's a generous woman. Even if we forget what we give to our church or what we give to ministries or how much we give, but don't we want people to think of us as generous? Well, if we want to do that, there we need to do what generous people do. And so this week I've been thinking about the characteristics that we regularly see in generous people, and I included three of these in your notes if you want to follow along. If we're going to Be generous. We need to do what generous people do. And number one is this. Generous people are thankful. Generous people are thankful. You know, as the pastor here, I get the chance to um, encounter a lot of people who give to this church for the very first time. And uh, whenever somebody gives for the first time here at Genesis, the first time that we can track anyway, uh, I write them a note. I usually write them a note to say, thanks thanks for being a part of the ministry here. What you do matters. It's important to the mission of Genesis Church. And um, you know, I don't take this for granted that I get to do this. When uh, we started, I started this two and a half years ago, it was a much easier thing to do than it is now. We've grown. We've got a lot more people. We've got a lot more givers and more people giving for the first time. Whenever we do a series like this, I have to set apart half of a day to write thank you notes. But it's good for me. Me because I get to be thankful for people who are giving on behalf of Genesis Church. Now, in addition to this, whenever somebody gives a particularly large gift, I usually will either write a note or send an email or make a phone call, depending on how well I know them. And uh, what I see is that there's almost always a really cool story behind the gift, um, that, that, that like God blessed them in some way, and they felt directed uh, to give a gift because they're so thankful for the way he's worked in their lives. Now, what I never hear when I call somebody who's given a big gift is something like, you know what, we just had so much money sitting around the house, we had to get rid of it, and so I wanted to give it to somebody, so why not you? It's never that, it's never, well, I could have put more money in my retirement account, but there's so much money in my retirement account now, I just don't know what I'm going to do with it all, so I just thought I'd give some to the church. It's never like that. It's always, you know what, God is blessing me in this area of my life. God is so good to me, and I'm so thankful for what this church means for me and my family and, and for my friends. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a guy. He gave, uh, gave $5,000 at the year, end of the year, $5,000 gift. I called him up and said, hey, thanks so much uh, for that gift. And you know what he said? He said, you know what, it's all God's anyway. It's not my money. I just think, man, what an act of thankfulness to understand that generous people are so filled with gratitude that I can't help but wonder if there's a relationship between the two is it the more generous you become the more thankful you are or the more thankful you are the more generous you become I don't know but I think it's true and I see it in life time after time again I've seen it too many times to think it's coincidence that God blesses people who are thankful That God blesses people who are generous. I'm not talking about prosperity gospel here, okay? But you have to wonder about the pattern. I give, I'm thankful, I get. I give, I'm thankful, I get. That's the pattern I see over and over again. So generous people are thankful. Number two is this. Generous people are impulsive. Now, when I say this, I mean this in the best sense of the word. I'm not talking about buying a Star magazine at the checkout counter, impulsive, all right? I'm talking about that we all have impulses, right? Albert Einstein once said, never resist a generous impulse, we all have impulses. Many of those impulses are meant to be rejected, okay? But some of them are meant to be acted on, and we've got to know the difference. All of us have these, right? You hear of somebody who needs help. You hear of a need in your community. Maybe it's a neighbor for one reason or another. You have this impulse to help. I could see this. I could do an experiment, and I promise you here's how it would turn out. If I came up here on stage and said, hey, there is a single mom In our church that can't buy groceries this week. She has four kids. She needs to be able to buy groceries. She needs $150. I promise you at the end of the service, four of you would race up here with a $150 check to hand to me to give to her. At least. I just know that would happen because we have a generous church, right? And people are generous and some people obey those generous impulses. You've got an opportunity to act. Well, if we want to be generous, we shouldn't resist that opportunity to act. I heard a story this week of a man uh, who, for one month, decided to say yes every time somebody asked him for money. And here's how it started. He lives in New York City. He was on the train uh, from his office to his home, and somebody came up and asked him for money on the train, and he said no. And then as he got home and was interacting with his family, he thought, why did I say no in that moment? And as he thought about it, he realized, because that's what I always do. I always say no when somebody asks me for money. And so he decided to do this experiment. He calls it the generosity experiment to see if he could change that impulse. And so what he decided was for one month, for 30 days, uh, every time somebody asked him for money, he was going to give it to them. If they asked him for a specific amount, he was going to give them that specific amount as long as he had it with them, was able to do that. And here's what he found after 30 days. He said it didn't impact what he gave to other organizations. It didn't impact... His quality of life, his character of life, what it did do is it changed his impulse, that his first impulse after that 30 days was to react in a positive way. Now, he did say that there were some gifts that he knew weren't great gifts, like that he wished he had back, like the one coworker who knew he was doing this experiment. And so two days before it was over, came up to him and said, hey, can I have five bucks? Because he knew he had to give it to him. You know, He's like, I wish I could have that back, right? But he said it was worth it because it changed his initial impulse. So much so that somewhere around 30 days after the experiment ended, a man came up to him on the train, asked him for money, and his first response was to reach for his wallet. That's changing an impulse. Generous people are impulsive. If you want to be generous, you should try it. I'm not saying try it for 30 days, but try being impulsive. So last year, uh, about this time, our family and I decided that we were going to take another step in giving. We challenged you to do that this time last year. And what we did was instead of upping giving to the church or giving to another organization, we decided to take it, kind of let our family have a say in where the money went. So we started taking 1% of our income and putting it in a jar in our pantry. Um, And so what we do with that is just let it accumulate. And then when somebody in our family hears about a need, we have money to give away. And our family gets to have a say in that. And so my daughters uh, at 13 now and 11 have had a say in how we give that money away. My wife will come to me with a need, come to us with a need. We usually talk about it at the dinner table. Uh, we've had the chance to help a friend pay for groceries. She was short on money for the week. and uh, was, We were just talking over dinner, and like, my wife and I, our eyes met across the table. hey, like, Could we you know, kind of motion towards the giving jar? My, um, we had a friend that couldn't pay her electric bill, and my kids said, Dad. Can we help? And like, they'll get the giving jar. Yeah, give them the money in the giving jar. We've, we've been able to send missionaries, help send missionaries on trips because we've got this money. And so we've been able to do some things that we wouldn't be able to do except that we made an allowance to accommodate our generous impulses and the impulses of our entire family. Now, most of the generous people I know give into these impulses all the time. We had one man in our church right before Christmas who sold, uh, bought a new car. And he decided he was gonna sell his car or trade it in, but then he thought, you know what? What if instead of doing that, I just gave it to the church? And so um, before right before Christmas, the church was donated a uh, BMW M- uh, X5 SUV. And uh, we're like, well, what do we do with this? <laughs> Nobody here drives a BMW. And so we sold it. And now his SUV is doing ministry here at Genesis Church just because he had a generous impulse. Now, do generous people plan their giving to? Yes, all the time and probably most of it. They're not only generous givers. They're not only... Priority givers, they're also proportional givers when they become progressive givers um, most of the time. But they're strategic about the causes they give to. They, they also realize that they may plan all they want, but sometimes God may have a different plan for what he wants them to give to. And they want to be ready if there's an impulse to act on. So generous people um, love to be impulsive. The third thing is this, generous people like to be stretched. Generous people like to be stretched. For some of us, it's uncomfortable if anybody exercises, you know that sometimes stretching is the most uncomfortable part, but it's also the part that allows you to be the most flexible. Right? It's also the part that, if you stretch every time after you exercise, then soon you get better at it and it becomes easier, and um, you're able to do more. Right? If you're stretched, you know. Once you realize that it, all your money belongs to God, that you can never outgive Him, you start to discover that returning the tithe isn't enough. You know, last week we talked about this passage from the book of Malachi, Malachi 3.10, where God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and see if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you won't have a place to put it all. So for some people, when they do that and God proves that he's faithful, their generosity becomes addictive and they can't stop at just 10%. And so they might give over and above to things that are happening around here at Genesis. But the giving extends usually beyond Genesis to other ministries and other causes, other opportunities, both locally and around the world that have an eternal impact too. You know, Generosity has no finish line, right? That's our principle that we're working off of. And so we've talked about different goals in this series and uh, different ways that you can take that next step on the ladder. And our goal was to challenge each and every person in this room, no matter where you are on your journey up the ladder, to have the next step to take. And so uh, if you're a priority giver, we talked about that two weeks ago, to become a priority giver. If you're a a proportional giver, we talked about that last week. If you want to be a progressive giver, maybe you already are, um, there's a couple challenges for you. There's a couple ways you could do that this week. Um, First is this. Would you increase your giving to Genesis Church by 1% in 2015? Would you consider increasing the amount of money you give to your local church of one, by 1% of your income? Take, take a step. Now, what does that mean? It's pretty simple. Giving uh, 10%, if you've been giving 10%, if you've been tithing, maybe you've been doing that for a couple years, maybe 5 years, 10 years, 15 years. Maybe it's getting a little comfortable for you. Um, maybe it's time to take that step and do something a little more uncomfortable, giving another 1%. Maybe you've given 15% or 20% to the point where it's becoming a little comfortable. Maybe as a way of asking God to stretch you, you need to add 1% more to that. The second way to do it is if you're already tithing, if you're already returning that tithe, um, you're already giving as a proportional giver or more, would you consider giving to another ministry outside the walls of Genesis Church? If you don't know where to give, I'd love to recommend some of our ministry partners. We have them uh, here locally, uh, nationally, internationally, all over the world. Uh, Nehemiah Vision Ministries in Haiti. We've got a couple people here today that are taking a trip next week that are going to go to Haiti with Nehemiah Vision Ministries. We have two trips a year. It's an incredible ministry. They do great work. God is doing incredible things in this village of Chambrun, Haiti, and around there through the church, through the school, through the things happening at Nehemiah Vision Ministries. By the way, we're going to pray for our Haiti team right after this service. And so if you've got a couple minutes, just come up here to the front after the service is over. I know they'd love your prayers for that. If you can't, pray for them next week while they're gone. They leave on Saturday. Uh, The 14th, is that right? Saturday the 14th, they'll be gone for a week. But they're going to have an incredible impact down there. God's going to do some amazing things, and your financial gifts help make that happen. How about um, Shepherd Community Center? down on the east side of Indianapolis. Great partner of ours. Uh, Just next week, we're going to start talking about one thing that we're doing with them. We're starting a hunger initiative called On Behalf of the Hungry. Shepherd Community is a big part of that. They do great work with the inner city youth in Indianapolis, an incredible uh, ministry. They love to have your financial support. How about somebody like Food for Souls? We uh, saw, we kind of highlighted them at Christmas time. They're the homeless outreach that works on the streets of downtown Indianapolis. They're based in Fishers. Uh, We do a lot of um, time we did some gift support for them, but we haven 't supported them financially maybe that 's something that, that god 's calling you to do now what's god where 's God working in your heart? You know, our outreach strategy is always not to start something new, but let's join God where He's already at work. Generous people know you can't ever outgive God. And so maybe that's here at Genesis Church, maybe it's somewhere else. How about um, Movement Church in Northern Kentucky? Our former student pastor, Josh Tandy, started a church down there a couple of years ago, and we've been supporting them financially. Some of our staff have been supporting, some of you have been supporting them financially. Maybe if you want to give an extra 1%, maybe that's where it should go to Movement Church. Uh, all those partners, I think you can find them. On our website, but where is God working in your heart? As I've tried to emphasize during the series, um, I'm not willing to do have you do anything that I'm not willing to do. Okay, and so um, one of the things that when we knew we'd be talking about money, I I don't like talking about giving for two reasons. One, because I know most of you don't like talking about it either, and so it's a challenge for me. But two, because God always stretches me whenever we talk about money. I know that this is coming. And so we, my wife, Benita, and I, we started praying uh, before this series even started. Hey, what are we going to do? You know, We're going to challenge everybody to take a step on the ladder. What are we going to do? What's it going to mean for us? And I, I shared over the last couple of weeks, if you were here, you know that uh, we started tithing quite a few years ago, right at 10%. We stayed at 10% for a long time, but over the years, God blessed us and stretched us, and we've been able to take a few more steps up to the ladder to the point where I just told you earlier in the service that we're at 15% last year, 15% of our gross income we give away. Not all of it goes to Genesis, but most of it does. And so we've been praying, you know, what is it going to mean? And so I asked my wife just a couple weeks ago, I said, hey, could we increase our giving to Genesis by another 1% of income this year? Is that possible? And she looked at me and she said, no way, we can't do that. (laughs) That's a joke. My wife is far more generous than I am. She's one of the most generous people I know. And uh, we've decided that we're going to raise our level of giving to Genesis Church by 1% of our income again. And we realize that because generosity has no finish line. And uh, in fact, we've already made that change with my last paycheck. We changed our online giving. And so uh, there's another 1% coming up. Now, again, I didn't share that with you. So you say, wow, he's awesome. I, I didn't share that because I'm not a model of generosity. In fact, if you knew how much I sometimes covet money and possessions, you would have somebody else up here teaching this message. There are at least five of you right now that I see in this room that would do a better job of talking about this than me right now. But I am someone who's tried to listen to and follow God's plan for my financial life. I'm I'm someone who, whenever he speaks to me, I try to listen and obey, and that has made all the difference in my life and even in my financial life. You know, Our family is financially secure today, not because I'm a genius, not because I've made great financial decisions, but because we have followed God's plan for our financial life. Maybe you hear that today and you think, you know, I want that. That's what I want. I want to take these steps on the ladder. What do I do next? How can I do that? Well, in just a minute, we're going to give everybody the opportunity to to do that, to take that next step. And so hopefully, you did get one of these as a family. You got the eight week challenge card. I want you to know that this is not, there's no obligation to do this. You don't have to do this. This is for you know, people who call Genesis Church your home. You want to take that next step. You want to be thankful. You want to be stretched by God. You want to find a new way. You want to take that next step up the ladder. If that's you, I hope that you'll take part in this. But if it's not you, you know, don't let what other people think about you Uh, When when the offering comes by here in a minute, if you don't have a card to put in and somebody says, oh, you didn't put a card in, don't let that stop you. We don't want anybody to do this out of obligation, only out of response uh, to what Jesus has done. So hopefully it says the eight-week challenge on the front. What we want to do is challenge you for eight weeks. That's from now until Easter Sunday. Would you take one of these three steps that we've been talking about these last three weeks? So maybe you're not giving anything right now. And you want to take the step to become a priority giver. I'm going to start giving something. Every time I get paid, I'm going to start giving something to Genesis Church. Good for you. Would you check that box? Put your name and email on there. I'll tell you why in just a minute. The second thing is maybe you've been giving something, but you've not been tithing. And you think, you know what? God says, test me. God doesn't just say, test me if he's not going to come through, right? And so I'm going to test God for eight weeks. It doesn't say in scripture, test him for eight weeks, all right? But I'm going to test him and become a proportional giver. I'm going to start giving a tenth and see what happens. You can check that second box right there. And then if you're already tithing, if you're already doing that, maybe you're already a progressive giver, um, and you want to take the challenge, just take that, check that third box. I'm going to take the challenge. I'm going to up my giving by 1%, either to Genesis or to someplace outside. Again, we're not going to... Look at your giving records and see that you did what you said you're gonna do. We're not going to say, oh, well, nope, he didn't go a percent. You know, they didn't they didn't up their giving a percent. That's not what this is about. This is about encouragement. The reason we want your name and your email is because I don't want you to go through this alone. All right. I know it's hard when you start to trust God with some part of your life. And for so many of us, the financial part of our life is a big part of our life. And so what we want to do is we want to be able to encourage you. So we've got some emails we're going to send out every week that if you decide you want to be a part of this eight-week challenge, uh, you can fill out this card, and in just a couple minutes when the offering comes by, you can drop it in. And if you put your email on there, every week I'm going to send you an encouraging email that's going to help you as you're thinking about and praying about what God wants to do in your financial life. Um, I'm going to be praying with you too, and I'm going to send you this email that will encourage you, hopefully with some piece of scripture or some story or something that we're hearing about the result of that. I want to make sure that you understand that when we're talking about being generous, this is not about being a do-gooder, okay? This is not about being a philanthropist. This is not, I'm going to give so that I'm proud, that I feel good about it. Um, It's not because it's the law or required to do it. This is about responding to the greatest gift we've been given in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, for my sake... For our sakes, he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That Jesus, before he came to earth, he had everything. He had a perfect home in heaven. He had all the benefits of life in heaven. He gave it up so that he could come down here and become one of us and enter a sin-soaked world and walk among sinful people. And chose not to sin and to live a perfect life as an example to us and then went was obedient even to death on a cross and went to the cross and took the punishment that we deserved. We talk about freely giving. He took the punishment that we deserved for our sin and then overcame death when he rose from the dead 3 days later and ascended into heaven and now he sits at the right hand of God and that is the gift that God has given us. How can we possibly repay that? We can't. But in response, you know, through our generosity, we can become rich in the things that matter most. We can become rich in forgiveness and rich in love and rich in faith and rich in hope. And there there are so many families in our church, so many people in our church that get that. There are so many people that for whom giving has just become a regular way to, a routine. It's a a way to be thankful for the work that God has done in their lives. And what they see is that when they're generous with their finances, that's one important way that they respond to the love of Jesus. I wanna show you just a few of their stories right now. Take a look at this.